0: As far as I'm concerned, they are absolutely the best lead generation firm in the business for economic developers. Call them at 514 488 3168 and see how Research FDI can help you create real prospects. Hello, this is Chad Chancellor with Next Move Group. Before we begin today's podcast, if you've been enjoying our podcast series, Please go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. That'll sure help us out. We'd appreciate it a whole lot.
1: Hello and welcome to this edition of the Next Move Group, We Are Jobs Podcast. I am your host, CEO Chuck Sexton. And before we jump to our guest, I want to again encourage you, uh, all of you listeners out there who are economic development professionals who want to further your career to take a look at the Brazos Valley EDC president and CEO position. We are doing an executive search for them. Currently, uh, that position, if you want more information about it, you can go to www.thenextmovegroup.com backslash Brazos Valley. Brazos Valley is in a triangle that connects Dallas, San Antonio, and Houston. Uh, it's uh, cities of Bryan and College Station, Texas and Brazos County. And of course, it is the home of Texas A&M. It's going to be a great position for someone who is uh, certainly a go-getter, wants to be aggressive, grow that community, continue to work on some initiatives that they have there. Uh, the position pays uh, between 190000 and 230000 So again, if you are interested, you can take a look at that on thenextmovegroup.com com backslash Brazos Valley. You can reach out to Alex at nextmovegroup.com or Brittany. At nextmovegroup.com, if you are interested. And now to our guest, Mark Bergathon. He is with Convergent Nonprofit Solutions, a principal, a founding principal of Convergent Nonprofit Solutions, a firm I'm very familiar with in my uh, role, past role as an economic developer, and now obviously at Next Move Group. Mark brings extensive Private and nonprofit sector experience to his role as principal of Convergent Nonprofit Solutions. He's recognized as one of the leading national experts in funding nonprofit organizations and community initiatives through major fundraising campaigns. Thanks for joining me today, Mark.
2: Well, thank you, Chuck. I appreciate the uh, invitation. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here.
1: Well, I thought it was uh, timely uh, to have you on the podcast, and and uh, you know our our teams have been uh, talking about a few things uh, recently. And uh, one of those has to do with the fact that we're doing a lot of strategic planning right now for communities, and funding has come up in every single one of them. Matter of fact, interestingly, even not doing strategic plans, just in conversations with economic developers, it seems like, especially in rural areas right now, there's a lot of uh, pullback on funding from the public sector for some of those. Have, Have you all seen that as well?
2: Well, a little bit of it, but you know, anytime that happens, that's just an opportunity to increase private sector funding, and uh, most of our clients prefer it that way.
1: Yeah. Well, why don't uh, as we dive in here, why don't you give a little bit about yourself uh, and Convergent, uh, so that our audience has a, a a wide picture of what what we're talking about today?
2: Sure. Well, I, I started my career as an attorney in Atlanta a, a long time ago, but I've been doing this kind of work since uh, uh, the mid '90s. And um you're know, primarily focused on funding economic development organizations um typically through a big capital campaign, an investment campaign um typically it's a pro- public-private partnership um you know at a high level uh, you're, you're, our clients will develop a multi-year uh, strategic plan um, Multi-year program of work, five years is common, but it doesn't have to be five years, three years, four years. Um, a multi-year uh, budget, what's it going to cost to accomplish the things that they want to do for their community and their stakeholders? Um, and multi-year goals, what are they trying to accomplish? How are they going to measure success? Uh, and then if I launch what is basically like a nonprofit capital campaign to secure multi-year Funding commitments from stakeholders, which in the economic development world is primarily the the business community. It they are typically public private partnerships, so we'll get funding from the say the city and the county, but most of mm-hmm. the money usually comes from uh, the business community, uh, banks, utilities, hospitals, uh, major employers, right through the local economy: uh, car dealers, uh, law firms, um, grocery stores, and so forth. Yeah. Um, Convergence role typically is to um, uh, to work with them at the beginning of each multi-year cycle to secure those funding commitments. Um, clients typically outsource the campaign management role to us and uh, and, and we go get the money raised. Yeah. So I, you know, I, again, personally, I've been doing this since the 90s, but um, I, I had my own firm um that merged with a few other firms to form Convergent in 2008. And, um, and we've just been uh, growing like gangbusters ever since.
1: Well, it's great. You know, I've, I've been through the process before. Um, uh, and unfortunately I we didn't, the organization I was with did not use Convergent and um, I was a little unhappy with the process uh, that I was experiencing with that particular firm. So, um, uh, I, I ended that relationship pretty early on, uh, just because, you know, I, as the CEO, I was the one out raising all the money. So I wasn't sure why we were paying them, but, um, uh, they didn't seem to have some of the, um, what I would call the, the background and education that your team seems to have for economic development specifically. Um, I think that's a, a differentiator for convergent. You all understand the industry really, really well. Um, Right I now, appreciate a
2: lot of I appreciate that, Chuck. You know, we've we've worked with hundreds of economic development organizations all over the country. You know, just last year alone, we uh, worked with forty four clients in eighteen states, and a lot of uh, the folks on our team are you know professional former economic development professionals and or chamber executives, and and so yes, we do understand this, and we do more uh, fundraising for economic development than anyone in the country.
1: Yeah, and I and and I have to say. Um... I'm not sure of, of any other group like yours uh, who has that type of staff. Um, and that was really probably the pro- The biggest problem I had with with the folks that were chosen for the, the organization I was with. Now, we still had our goals, our fundraising goals. I think if we would have uh, had someone like you on board, we probably would have done better uh, as an organization. We'd have had more funding to play with. Now, uh, I, I do think that, um, you know, as, as you all work with communities right now, Uh, there's probably a lot of folks considering, you know, the potential recession that's coming up. And so that's something I wanted to kind of transition to and talk about right now, because I I do think in some of the folks that I'm hearing from, as far as whether it's a regional regional organization or a single community one-off when when their funding is kind of being pulled back from the public side uh, it's, it's due to fears of continued cost increases for everything, interest rates going up like they are. I bought a new car. Uh, last night. And, um, and it literally was last night. I didn't get to my hotel until nine o'clock the one I was at last night. But uh, it, it blows my mind what interest rates are now compared to a, a year ago. And so um, I, I think that fear is creeping into, you know, local politicians, uh, especially. Um, and what would you say would be convergence advice or your advice uh, for communities that are facing that right now, those issues?
2: Well, the first thing I say is is don't shy away from potentially you know launching a, an investment campaign uh, just because of the, the macroeconomic environment. I uh, again been doing this since the '90s. I've been economic development fundraising through uh, several uh, bear markets and recessions. Um, you know the. 2008, 2009, the, the worst recession since the Great Depression. Some of my favorite campaign success stories came from that era. Uh, 2020, you know, the economy ground to a halt and, and we were still doing successful economic development fundraising. Um, so I don't know what the future holds, but, um, you know, based on my experience, our collective experience, I um, wouldn't uh, I wouldn't shy away from it. Now, I, I would say do your due diligence. You know, typically before we launch a campaign, we conduct a feasibility study, a funding feasibility study. Mm-hmm. And that really gets the lay of the land in your community uh, under current anticipated circumstances. Um, you know, identifies what the hurdles are going to be, how to overcome those hurdles. You know, that's your roadmap for success. And then you don't have to launch into a campaign until you've got a clear picture of of what you're facing. Uh, And so I would definitely encourage folks to um, do their due diligence in conducting a feasibility study. And then also just, you know, focus on quality and and doing everything the right way. When when the economy is going gangbusters and, you know, the corporate coffers are overflowing and everyone's confident and, and optimistic, you can sometimes cut some corners and be a little sloppy and still do just fine. But when Uh, When people are nervous, um, when there's a lot of uncertainty, when there's pessimism, um, when there's fear, uh, you know, when there's, you know, when there is, um, uh, you know, when there's less funding to go around and more competition for it, you really have to focus on quality and best practices and and do everything the right way. And, of course, we can we can help folks to do that. Yeah, Uh, I'd, I'd say, too, just, you know, there's there's. Economic development, unlike a lot of the other nonprofit fundraising that we uh, that we do, their economic development is never more needed and more important than when the economy is down. Mm-hmm. Right, and from the yep. investor standpoint, because you're dealing with corporations, um, you know, as opposed to typically philanthropic individuals, you know, there's they'd never have more of a need to invest um, in strategies that can help them grow than when growth is lacking. Uh, and, and so I, I'd say historically, some of our best campaigns have been in in down economies.
1: Yeah, I hundred percent agree with that. Um, you know, if if the economy's down and project activity is down, you know, from a strategic standpoint, we've we obviously have told communities, and and I've said on this podcast a number of times. Right now, if you're not seeing a lot of projects and you know, there's going to be a maybe a dip in the number of projects that are out there, now's the time to be investing in site development and making sure your workforce story is well-rounded uh, for the future because the communities who are doing the work now to make sure that they have good sites, good buildings, those sorts of things uh, in place and making sure that their workforce, short-term and long-term story is uh, ready and they can take care of a company when they come in, then they're going to be the ones who get the opportunities as we come back into this full swing because I don't see this being a... a Uh, 2008, 2009. I could be wrong, but I think there will be a a mild slowdown for just a short period of time, and then it's going to crank back up again. That's that's my thought process on it. So, what would you say is the number one reason a private corporation invests or contributes to an economic development organization or plan of work?
2: Well, I, you know, historically, it's just been about the ROI, the return on investment. We position. You know, economic development is good for the entire community, right? I mean, it's, it certainly warrants a, a philanthropic impulse. It, it's an avenue for being a good corporate citizen. But when we're doing a, an economic development fundraising campaign, we're really focusing on positioning it as a good business decision, you know, enlightened self-interest, right? There is a measurable ROI uh, to the success of our client's program of work. Uh, right. As, as we help to grow the local economy, we're helping the businesses to grow. Um, you can really drill down on that, you know, depending on the, the uh, you know, the types of things that the economic development organization is doing and the type of business that we're uh, that we're uh, making a customized investment proposal to. And, <clears throat> uh, you know, it basically comes down to just sort of connecting the dots. Doesn't it make sense to invest this in order to potentially get that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is usually a, a huge multiple to this yeah uh, and so it's a good roi it, it's you know it's it's something that you know most nonprofits um when they're doing a fundraising campaign you know they have to rely on emotional appeals and uh and you know and in peer-to-peer influence and some of that comes into play in economic development fundraising, but it's mostly about the bottom line. It's, you know, in businesses are going to invest in their businesses to grow, right? They're going to invest in things that will help their business to grow. And, and we just want our clients, our clients want their, you know, their program of work, their strategic plan to be incorporated into the portfolio of strategies that a business is going to deploy and invest in to grow. Um, and if you you have that type of thinking, um, it's uh, you know you'll I, I've seen organizations that convert from like say a membership model where they're just sending out dues invoices to this investment model and uh you know businesses go from you know investing a thousand dollars a year to fifty thousand dollars a year uh, because they they
1: see the roi we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor
0: i want to thank location one.com some of you know it is lowest for sponsoring today's podcast in my opinion lowest is the best buildings and sites database on the market. One of the reasons I think that is it gives you nationwide exposure. So I used to be the economic developer in Paducah, Kentucky, and I made a terrible mistake. I only put my buildings and sites on the Kentucky Economic Development Buildings and Sites Database. Well, Paducah bordered Illinois and was within 30 or so miles of Missouri, Indiana, and Tennessee. So what sense did it make for me to not put my buildings and sites on a nationwide database? Well, Lois does that for you. Looking back, I should have put my Builders and Sites on Lois. It's also easy to use for an economic developer. It's just like using Facebook. It walks you through how to insert your pictures and your information and so forth. And the thing I like most, it works well on my iPad. If I'm in an industrial building, I want to be able to look at that thing on my iPad. Lois does that for me. Other Builders and Sites databases struggle with that. So if you got 10 or 15 minutes to spare, go over to location1.com, book yourself a demo, and see if this can help your community have more success.
1: Well, you know, I I have to say one, I apologize. I'm sitting here blinking a lot right now. Uh, You all can't see us. Mark and I can see each other while we're recording this. And, um, And we're recording this on a day where it was 70 degrees. There's a massive snowstorm coming across the country, and all of you out there are going to remember this a week from now when this airs. Um, but there's a major snowstorm coming up just north of where I'm at, and, and and ice and everything. I'm kind of staged myself in Indianapolis, and my allergies because this low pressure and everything is coming through. They're going crazy. I'm going to to take my contacts out in a minute, and throw my glasses on. So, um, but anyway, I wanted to make sure to apologize to Mark for that. But you all get to listen to it as well. Um, what what are some of the shows uh, or conferences that Converge is going to be at soon? Because I think it'd be beneficial for some of our listeners to maybe seek you out if they're going to be at similar uh, conferences to see if they if if they're interested if it's something they want to learn more about they can schedule a meeting with your team
2: sure sure and we you know we typically go to you know the national conferences like IEDC and ACCE um, some of the regional ones SEDC uh, MAEDC midamerica Um, You know, a number of state conferences. Um, I think I've got uh, FEDC, the Florida conference uh, on my calendar. Um, We go to a lot of conferences all over the country. So (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) anywhere you are, look up, look, look for the uh, convergent and uh, hopefully we can connect.
1: So essentially, if you see them. They're there. Go ahead and see if you can't get uh, get a chance. If if uh, you have a conference coming up, uh, I would imagine uh, you'll see that if Converge is going to be there, they're probably going to be a sponsor. I would assume of the conference. So if you see their logo and their name as part of that sponsorship, I would encourage folks out there to to have a conversation with them while, while you're at the conference. It's always a good thing to do. So what uh, what would you say the the future looks like? Do you think that there will continue to be ample funding out there for economic development? Do you see national or state or regional politics that could uh, uh, impact it negatively from the standpoint of government funding into economic development?
2: Well, that uh, I don't have a crystal ball uh, <laughs> for anything along those lines. I can just say that in the trenches, you know, when you're providing a strong value proposition to uh, to a potential investor, um, that wants to that benefits from the success of your work you're going to be able to to garner investment i i think that we are seeing a trend towards um a, a heavier private to public funding ratio um you know again most of our clients are public private partnerships meaning they get both funding and leadership from the public sector and the private sector um you know we regard sort of a Our best practices being predominantly private sector funded, um, 60-40, 70-30, two-thirds, one-third, something along those lines. And and as the public sector funding pulls back and decreases, which you've alluded to, um, we just make a stronger case to the private sector because they need need the EDC to be successful uh, in order for their business to be successful.
1: What would you say is the smallest budget that you all have done fundraising for? I'm from like an annualized basis, not a five year basis, but all right. So, you know, some organizations, because well, a lot of people probably think, OK, if we're going to use a conversion. We probably need to have a goal. of like a million dollars a year in a budget. So let's kind of dispel some of that a little bit here.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We do a lot of work in in small small rural communities for very small organizations um, you know we've done campaigns in communities of population ten thousand five thousand um organizations with a staff of one or two or three folks um you know a budget of you know hundred thousand dollars per year looking to go to two or three hundred thousand dollars per year right and you know over a five-year period you know a, a you know a per year, you know, goal, that's a one and a half million dollar campaign in our world. uh, And really becomes cost effective from that standpoint.
1: Yeah. You know, there's a lot of communities out there in that range. I think that, you know, maybe they'll only have a hundred, $150,000 a year in, in funding and they, they know, and I've talked to so many lately who, you know, they need to bump their, their funding up. And, and that specific example a lot of them were in that range. And, um, you know, from a feasibility standpoint, I think you 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 said it earlier. You know, it's always good to do the feasibility analysis first to understand what what you can accomplish within the community. But you know, and those those cost a little money. I'm I'm assuming the feasibility costs some has has costs associated with it. Uh, but you got to spend money to make money, right? <laughs>
2: yeah, absolutely, and it, it's better to know what you're getting into. Um, uh, you know, if, you know the feasibility study will tell you what can be accomplished and how best to accomplish it. Um, and you know, it, it rarely, it rarely it tells you not to, that you can't do anything at all, right. It might right size your expectations, but, um, you know, once you figure out what you can realistically accomplish and how to accomplish it, we can work with you to, you know, customize an engagement that makes sense and is cost-effective based on the scope of the project.
1: Yeah. I, I assume, I mean, I know you all work across the country, but where would you say the majority of your clients are concentrated today?
2: Um, predominantly in the Southeast and the Midwest, Uh, you know, we've done at least a little bit of work in every state in the country over the years, but, um, but, but those I'd say are our strongholds. Um, and, and, and I think that that's where you find maybe the strongest public private partnerships for economic development. Um, you know, in some parts of the country, it's really heavily public, um, sector driven. Um, and, uh, uh, but in the southeast and the Midwest there's uh I, I mean we've just done so much work in those regions yeah. of the country.
1: you know I really enjoyed the organization that I previously uh, ran um, because it was 100 percent privately funded and yeah. um, you know a lot of economic developers out there uh, kind of wish that they they had that at times. Um, you know it's 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 rough every four years if things just continue to change uh, as as the uh, like the leaders change. And, you know, that's that's where, in, in my opinion, from a strategic planning standpoint for a community, communities can kind of get in a little bit of trouble because, you know, you have new leadership come in um, that's elected. You know, they have an idea of what they would like to accomplish. They might Maybe they weren't plugged in before into the process or into the EDO. And, and there's where I think that, you know, having a good, solid uh, private basis for funding is important for economic development organizations to have really long-term results, because if you're throwing everything out every three and a half to four years and just restarting over again, you're never building that long-term momentum as a community in my opinion. And I would imagine some of your most successful clients are probably those that you are in five or six, maybe maybe you're, well, I would say at this point, probably the fourth or fifth cycle uh, for them uh, from a funding standpoint.
2: Yeah, a- absolutely. So five-year cycles are the most common, as I mentioned before. There's some organizations that are on their fifth or sixth or seventh or eighth five-year cycle. Have been doing this for decades. Yeah, it's typical to ratchet ratchet up both funding and outcomes um, cycle over cycle. Um, and uh, you know, you you build a strong long-term investor base. You're not just getting their funding. You know, you're getting their you know their business sense. You're getting their um, their participation, uh, you're, you know, you're extending, you know, your staff. You, you just have so much more your know, people resources um, a- available. Um, it's just very helpful in long-term success. The, uh, you know, the the public-private partnerships that are strongly driven by private sector funding and leadership uh, produce the most prosperous communities over time. Uh, we've seen it time and again.
1: Yeah, I've seen that too, uh, personal level, and then now, obviously, uh, at uh, Next Move Group, uh, leading it and dealing with our clients. That there's there's a disparity there, uh, certainly. So, um, look as as we get towards wrapping up here, is there anything in particular you'd like to make sure that our audience hears about convergent uh, that we haven't discussed so far?
2: Well, I, you know, I think I said earlier to just you know not shy away from macroeconomic concerns. Uh, you know, be bold, be confident, be optimistic, do your due diligence, and do things the right way. Um, but uh, you can accomplish an awful lot for your community uh, at a time that they need it the most. Uh, you know, so you know, I, I, I would not shy away from doing something as long as you do it right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I I can't believe we're this far into it without mentioning it, but, you know, the most fundable thing right now, the thing that we're raising the most money for is, you know, workforce development initiatives. Um, you know, anything that our clients can do that credibly moves the needle on, on workforce development is highly investable. I mean, we're finding that, you know, major employers, the business community is willing to write big checks for that. Um, and, uh, you know, more so than any time in my career, uh, the bulk of what we're raising money for is somehow related to workforce.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, workforce is uh, the most important thing right now from a site selection standpoint. Um, I know there's been some varying opinions of that that I've seen in some articles recently, but as far as all of our site selection clients are concerned, it is absolutely number one top of mind. You know, the, obviously the site is important, but you know, once we've determined sites, then Obviously, it's workforce, workforce, workforce. So uh, we just talked about that on our live Q and A uh, that we just finished. So um, going back to
2: the ROI, you know, it's you know creating a job. A job doesn't have an economic impact until it's filled. It's really the the job f- fulfillment mm-hmm. that creates the economic impact and the ultimate ROI to the community. Um, you know, obviously the the, <clears throat> the employers who who need help, um, you know, filling their positions have a direct benefit from an economic, uh, from a workforce development initiative that, that addresses them. But all the other businesses in the community have an indirect economic benefit as, you know, those jobs are filled, those payrolls get spent and redistributed throughout the local economy and and makes the cash registers ring um, all over town. And um, uh, so it's not just about job creation anymore. It's about job fulfillment and, Um, and and we're raising a lot of money around that right now.
1: Yeah, I think that's great. Uh, and I think that's probably something like, like you said, it's your number one thing or it's, it's probably one of your highest use customers right now, but I would imagine it's going to increase as we go forward because everywhere I go, that's, it's a major problem. Um, I've been in, uh, I guess eight or nine States in the last four or five weeks and, uh, you know, workforce is an issue everywhere. Uh, right now, and um, unemployment is is continuing to lower, and uh, labor force participation rate is continuing to increase. So, um, you know, finding that balance from uh, from my perspective uh, is really critical. And uh, you know, the other piece to that is not just current available skilled labor, but what you're talking about right now, funding workforce development initiatives. Um, there's twofold there. So one is long term, so future pipeline of talent. And the second really is if you're looking at it from a labor participation rate standpoint, and so let's say the community is five points or 10 points below the national average, which there's a lot of communities out there who are, um, they need to find a way through workforce funding and through workforce strategies uh, to engage those people who are in that prime age uh, workforce, who for whatever reason are not within the workforce. And uh, you know, that's something that's a question I've started to ask uh, as I go into communities on site visits with our clients is how are you engaging folks uh, in that eight to 10% uh, who should be working right now that aren't, and they're not showing up in your unemployment rate. How are you trying to engage those folks? So very okay. important things right now.
2: You know, it's interesting. That it's we see so many uh, different highly specific workforce strategies across the country, uh, across our clientele. Um, different communities are doing different things, and um, and uh, you know, a lot of times that's shaped by the feasibility study. And actually, you know, finding out what the employers need and and what they're willing to invest in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a one size fits all thing, uh, by any means, but, you know, but I can say that categorically, uh, anything that is, is helping to meet those employers needs and the workforce front, it's, it's getting funded.
1: That's great. That's great. Well, look, if, if you all would like to, uh, to talk to Convergent a little more, Mark, why don't you uh, give your contact information real quick, the easiest way to contact you, uh, to our listeners here.
2: Yeah, I'm happy to. My, my cell phone is 904-307-3633. Um, and my uh, email address is mbergathon, B-E-R-G-E-T-H-O-N at convergentnonprofit.com. Well, I appreciate
1: you. Uh I appreciate you very much joining me on the podcast today. I think this is an extremely relevant topic right now. It's probably I know it's something to top a lot of people's minds, especially as the year just started. So a lot of people just uh had their budgets finalized for 2023 and they're into that budget year and they're like, oh man, we don't have enough. So we've got to figure out what to do come next year's budget. Uh then there's a lot of folks who are getting ready because you know, budgets can be really any at any time for a lot of times for these nonprofits. Um but it's usually either uh January, December, or uh, uh you know, June to July. So uh or July to June. So um, hopefully folks out there who are coming up on that, and you want to have a conversation, reach out to Mark. I want to uh before as as we close, uh we are we're recording this right after Fat Tuesday, uh, which you'll hear it a week later uh, from Fat Tuesday. But for those of you who have not seen yet, uh next move group, our annual or I'm sorry, biannual. Uh, Mardi Gras conference uh, we've already opened up registration for that early bird registration as well as early bird sponsorships for our Mardi Gras event uh, down in New Orleans for 2024 uh that will be on Chad's birthday so this year our Mardi Gras event is also in, co- in combination with uh, Chad Chancellor's birthday and I'm I'm really kind of scared as to what that might look like but uh, a lot of folks it, we opened that up yesterday I think and um it's, we've had a massive response already uh, our venue only seats 200 people. Now, movement members, folks who are members of our movement program, get to attend for free. If they bring a guest. It does cost a little extra for that. Uh, and we've increased price uh, slightly this year because there's increased prices uh, for us, increased cost for us to put on the conference uh, for those who are non-movement members. So uh, if you are interested in being a sponsor, if you're interested in attending uh, and you would like that information, just reach out to me, Chuck, at nextmovegroup.com, and we will see you on the next podcast.